0: Well, like Rahul said, my name is April Farmer and I am currently the care and baptism director at Buckhead Church. And so y'all are family. We're all family. And so I'm excited to be here and to have this opportunity to share with you today. Just a little bit about myself, Um, I'm not from the metro Atlanta area, I actually grew up in Augusta, Georgia, but I've been here for a long time, and I kind of got connected to our churches um, uh, many years ago. I, I graduated from college and I moved up here, and I was working as a network operations technician at Sprint Long Distance out near the Cumberland area. And one day one of my coworkers said to me she was like, "Hey, you know they're giving away free lunch every week or across the street at this hotel and all you got to do is sit there and listen to this man preach, 30-minute message and you get free food. More often than not it is Chick-fil-A." And I'm like, "Hey, free food, <laughs> I'm down." So I started going there and it ended up being Andy Stanley. And um, so I've got this flipbook full of DVD of CDs and um that uh, are of Andy's messages. And that just tells you how old I am that I have a flip book of CDs. But um, but i that's how I kind of got introduced to him. Of course, my parents listened to Charles Stanley growing up, but that's how I got introduced to him. And so I just been here in the community. And then a few years ago, um, I got introduced as a worship leader um, in, the, in the network and down at Buckhead and got hired on right when COVID started in 2020. What a year to start a new job at a church. Um, but that's when I started and it was was awesome, and I'm just so privileged and so honored to be there and to be here. But prior to working at Buckhead Church, I was a community-based therapist, and I really, really love that job. One of my favorite parts or roles or responsibilities that I had was I got the opportunity to do community-based therapy in the community, and I got to teach parenting and life skills at our Cherokee County Jail. And I know for a lot of people, y'all are like, you got to go to the jails. It's not necessarily something I want to do. And and I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I really got an opportunity to meet a lot of people were sitting in a lot of different situations and a lot of different different circumstances for various reasons. But one of the commonalities I found is that everybody in every class that I ever taught, male or female, had a situation in their lives that was going on that they felt was a desperate situation. They felt like they had reached the end of their rope and they were so hard-pressed to figure out, how do I get out of this? And more so, how did I find myself in this? like, How do I move forward? What is life going to be like when I get out of here? Why do I feel so stuck? Why do I feel so bound? And what do I do to get out of this place? And so a lot of times we often ask ourselves the same question, but you feel like you're at the end of your rope, that you feel like you've run out of options in life. And so today we're going to look at a story of a person who had done just that, a person who had run out of options, a person who actually experienced Jesus as their last resort. And so there's a common phrase that many of us have heard or used down throughout the years. And it says this, it says desperate times call for desperate measures. Anybody ever heard that or said that? And it tends to be true. But what I found is that how do you really know that a situation is desperate? How do you know if you have truly run out and and exhausted all of your options? And typically, you start to find people beginning phrases with with things like this. They'll say, I am going to lose it if so-and-so doesn't, blah, 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 blah. Or I have just got to do X, Y, Z. And if I can get this to happen or this can happen, then my life would be different. Or if I could just take this next step in my career, if I could just take this next step in my relationship, then my life would be different. And we often find that people say those things. And we realize that there are varying levels of desperation. I could tell you a situation and I feel like it's a truly desperate situation. But then when I tell it to you, you look at me like, that's not a desperate situation. Nothing's desperate about that. And vice versa. I actually have a son and at some point in his life, he thought he was in a desperate situation. And it had to do with a girl. (laughs) <laughs> He's like, uh-oh. It had to do with a girl. And so my son, went in for high school, he got the opportunity to go away to a boarding school. Trust me, it was not my plan. But he got an opportunity to go to a boarding school in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so this one particular weekend, he was coming home for the weekend, but I was going to California to do some singing. And so I told him, I was like, hey, I'm going to be out of town, but you know the rules. Behave yourself. Don't make me come after you. Um, stay home. Be good. And do the things you know you need to do. And he's like, okay, mom. And so I call my brother and I asked my brother if he would watch the boys for the weekend. So I go to to California, had a great time. I'm headed back on Sunday. And I call my son, because he's already headed back to Chattanooga. And I called him and I was like, hey, Chris, how was your weekend? He's like, oh man, mom, it was so great to see everybody. I had a good time. I hung out with the fam, hung out with some of my friends. And I went to church this morning. Man, church was great. We had a great time at church. I was like, oh, that's so great. I hate, I missed everything. I'm so glad you had a good time. I'll link up with you soon. So we get off the phone. And then, of course, my next step is to call my brother to check in. Like, hey, I'm on my way home. How did everything go? He's like, man, the boys were fine. We had a good time. I dropped Christopher off at the movies with his girlfriend. And I was like, whoa, whoa. What do you you mean? Because there was a rule that I had. And it was, if you can't drive, you can't date. I feel like dating is a privilege. And I feel like you should be able to pay for your own dates. You should not need my transportation to go out with your girlfriend. And so that was the rule. So before I left, I told my son, I was like, hey, you know, You can't go out with that girl. He was like, I met this girl, mama. Come on, let me see her. Please let me see her. And I was like, no, that's out of the question. So then when I called my brother, he was like, yeah, I dropped him off at the movies to see his girl. I was like, whoa, 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 that don't make any sense. I know I told my son that he can't go on this date. So my son's desperate situation, because he just had to see this girl, caused a desperate situation for me. So I get off my plane into my car and get on 75 and I make my way straight up to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I told my brother, I said, I'm gonna need you to hang out a little while because I need to go handle some business in Chattanooga. I said, but don't you call your nephew and tell him I'm coming because I need the element of surprise to be on my side. And so I'm in my car and I'm going to Chattanooga and I get to his school and I ring the bell and uh, I call him and I was like, hey, Chris, how are you? He was like, I'm fine. You know, how are you doing? I said, is there anything you need to tell me? Is there anything you left out about this weekend? And he was like, no, I had a good time. We went to church this morning. It was great. It was fantastic. I was like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. get you behind downstairs. He's like, what? I was like, get down. I put my mommy voice on. Get downstairs now. I need to talk to you. And he comes downstairs and he opens the door and he's looking at me like, what is it? What did I do? What's going on? And I said, "You need to tell me the truth. You got a few more seconds to come clean." And so he knew the jig was up. And so he finally tells me about the whole weekend. And he was this. He said that that phrase that I talked about. Mom, I just had to see her. I missed her. So much i just had to spend time with her and he was willing to do whatever it took to see this girl we find that we laugh at that situation i look back at it now and whenever i tell him about it we chuckle but in his mind his situation was desperate seeing that girl was a desperate situation for him and in that time of desperation he was willing to do whatever it took he was willing to, to be in trouble he was willing to get on restriction for the next two weeks because i did lock him down in his dorm for the next two weeks but he was willing to take that punishment why Because he was in a desperate situation. And what we often find is this, is that in times of desperation, your level of determination is based on the value placed on what you desire. And all of us place value on so many different things. We all do. Sometimes it's a high value. Sometimes it's a low value. Many of us, we place value on being successful. We place value on gaining wealth and prosperity. We place value on relationships and good health. And then oftentimes, we place value on things that other people may take for granted, things like food or shelter or opportunity or safety. And so we find that there's this story in the Bible, in the book of Mark, and we're introduced to this man named Jairus. And in the introduction, Mark tells us that Jairus is a synagogue leader. Jairus is a man of status and position. And we meet him and we find in the story that Jairus has made his way to Jesus. It says when he saw Jesus, he went to Jesus and he fell at Jesus' feet and he begged and pleaded with him. He says, my daughter is sick to the point of death. Would you please come with me to heal my daughter? And Jesus, in all of his awesomeness, said, absolutely, you lead the way. And so they're taking this journey, but along the way, they are intersected by another story. And that's the story we're going to focus on today. They're intersected by a woman. They're intersected by this woman, and she, too, has a very desperate situation. And what she is desperate for, or the value that she's placed on this situation, is very high. And what she needed more than anything... Was freedom. And so there's three key elements in her story that we want to unpack today that are a part of her journey to freedom. And the first thing we find in her story is desperation. And in Mark chapter five, verse 25, it says this, it says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And so we find her situation and I want to take a moment just to kind of unpack her situation. She is in a desperate situation and we talked about levels of desperation. Let's look at the level of desperation she was in. First of all, she's a woman. April, why is that a big deal? Well, you have to understand, back in biblical times, women had no value. They had no status. They were the property of their father or the property of their husbands. They were nothings. They were people who were there for certain roles and responsibilities, but as far as the community was concerned, they had no status. They had no position. They had no value. And she's identified as a woman, not only a woman, but a woman with no name. Notice earlier, Jairus is identified by name. His name is Jairus, and he's identified by his status. He's a synagogue leader. So this is a person who would think is a person of importance, who qualifies for Jesus' attention. But this woman, on the other hand, is simply identified as a woman. She has no name, but her identification is based on her condition, And unlike Jairus, who went to Jesus on behalf of his sick daughter, this woman had no one. She had absolutely no one to to stand in the gap for her. She had no one to stand on her behalf. She had to go it alone. She had no supporters at all. And in addition to that, to make matters worse, because of her condition, she was considered ceremonially unclean. April, what do you mean by that? Well, in those times, if you look back in Genesis, there's a whole bunch of laws that you'll find that qualified or disqualified people from being clean. Things like touching a dead body would make a person unclean. Or if you had a blood issue or things that were going on in your body made you unclean for a certain period of time, and you had to go through a purification process to thereby be made clean again. So not only was she unclean, but anything she came in contact with Was unclean. So if she sat on a chair, the chair was unclean and had to be purified. If she touched a person, that person was unclean and had to be purified. So let's look at her situation. She was, because of this unclean condition, she wasn't able to go to the market and buy food like everybody else. She was unable to go to the synagogue and pray and worship with her family and with her friends. She was ostracized from the community and she was a social outcast. This woman was indeed in a desperate situation. And to make matters worse, she was suffering extremely. The Bible says she was under extreme suffering and she spent all that she had on many doctors and none of them helped. Everything got worse. So she was broke She was poor, she was alone, and she had spent all she had, and these doctors could do nothing for her. So we see her level of desperation. And as we continue the story, the next thing we see is her faith. In verse 27, it says, When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed Oh my gosh, think about that for a second. The level of faith this woman must have had in that moment to say all I've got to do is touch him. What she heard, I love that. What she heard about Jesus was so impactful that it sparked a hope in her desperate situation that ignited her faith. And Romans 10:17 tells us this, it says faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. So I have a question for you. Just think about this for a second. When was the last time hearing about Jesus increased your faith? I'll take it a step further. When was the last time you shared about Jesus and increased someone else's faith? It's like reviews. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm the only one in the room. But whenever I go out of town, the first thing I want to do is pull up Yelp. Because I like to eat. I want to find out where the best catfish is. I want to find out where the best barbecue is. I want to find out where the best soul food is. That's that's, just what I like to eat. And so I want to know. And I pull up Yelp. Why? Because these are reviews from people who have already experienced these places. They have already tasted and seen that the food is good. And so they have already given their reviews and said whether it's bad or whether it's good. And that matters. So I don't have to now waste my time or my energy or my money on food that is not good, right? And it also reminds me of something I used to have when I was in church called testimony service. And in testimony service, I don't know about you, but testimony service was one of my favorite parts of church. And if you don't know, this is what what happened. One of the deacons would get to a couple of microphones and he'd bring them down to the front of the church. And then people would line up and have the opportunity to go and tell the whole congregation about what Jesus had done for them this week. And so I loved it because a lot of times it was funny because people didn't quite know how to tell their testimony. They were up there way too long talking about all kind of stuff. But sometimes you would hear some really dynamic stories, some stories about how, you know, a person had run out of food and they had zero money and all of a sudden God placed it on a neighbor's heart to just bring them a whole truckload of groceries and how God provided. Or they had been struggling with some sickness or some illness and the elders of the church came by or some mothers from the church came by and laid hands on them and prayed for them and they were healed and restored. And I remember growing up hearing those stories about this Jesus. And I gave my life to Jesus as a young girl because I heard about who he was. I heard about this Redeemer and this Savior who could take away my sin and can free me. And I could hear these testimonies. And it was those very testimonies that I needed to remember when I, too, found myself in a desperate situation. I mentioned earlier that I grew up in Augusta and I was the daughter of a pastor. And we did a lot of things as a pastor's kid. You know, you were the first one at the church and you were the last one to leave. You had to take care of everything and do everything. And it was a great life growing up. And like I said, I gave my life to Jesus at a young age. But what was difficult or what I found challenging down through the years was that I knew what it was to give my life to Jesus, but following Jesus was very different. And a lot of times in church, you hear about who Jesus is and all the rules, and this is how it was for me, at least. I felt like I knew all the rules, all the do's and the don'ts, but when life happened, I didn't know how to navigate that. People didn't show you how to really navigate life. They kept all their stuff secret and private. So all you saw was this outward appearance of this perfect Christian. And so as life went on for me, I didn't know how to navigate the stuff that was going on. I was just told, no, don't. And so when I was 16 years old, I remember having to tell my father and my mother that I was pregnant. And it was a hard time. It was a very challenging experience. And I remember going to church and I I told my my son's father that I was pregnant and he was like, I'm sorry, I, I I don't want a kid. You're on your own. And I promise you, he left the city within two weeks. And I was in high school and I remember my belly growing and I go to church and I hear the snickers. And I hear the people and all of a sudden the friends that used to come hang out with me after church on Sundays, they weren't coming anymore. I wasn't getting invited to the sleepovers anymore because I was the girl who did it wrong. I was the bad influence. And all of a sudden nobody wanted to talk to me. And I found myself dealing with that. And there was actually one deacon at the church who literally came to me and he said, you should be ashamed of yourself. Why would you do this to your parents? You know better than this. You were taught better. And I started finding myself carrying so much shame and guilt for the situation I found myself in. But then again, I went to college and at 19 years old, I found myself pregnant again. So now I've got two babies. I'm a teenager. I'm trying to go to college. I move my kids down to college with me, and we all just go to school. Most kids went around that campus like mascots because I was bound and determined, and I took out all the student loans that I could take out. I mean, I maxed them all out, and I was on welfare. I had the food stamps. I had everything because I had to take care of these kids. They were my responsibility, but there was no dad to be found, and I was so ashamed, and I carried that for years. But we graduated from college by the grace of God and we, we thank you, I appreciate that. That was hard. We graduated, we moved up here to Atlanta. I got a job and we were working. We were doing the doggone thing and we were going to church and I did what I knew to do. Why? Because I had heard about this man named Jesus and I believed that he was real and I believed that he was good, but I wasn't really quite experiencing that quite yet. But I did what I knew to do. My parents would just tell me, hold on to Christ. He's going to come through for you. Come on, keep trusting Jesus. And so I went to church and I took my kids to church. And I was on the choir and I was in the praise team. And we watched all the veggie tales we could watch. I know every last single solitary song. But they went to Sunday school, and we did, the, we did all the stuff that we were supposed to do, but there was something missing. I was still making mistakes. I was still looking for love in all the wrong places. I was looking for affirmation from men that was not coming from any place else, and I felt like, God, do you really love me? And I carried that shame for years. And just like this woman in our story, I was in a desperate place. I felt like there's got to be more to loving Jesus than this. There's got to be, but I was in a desperate situation, but I had a faith about this Jesus that I had heard about down through the years. And I knew Jesus was my only hope. So we kept going when we kept doing. And just like this woman, I pursued Jesus with all that I knew to do. And I can imagine this woman in her desperate state in her unclean state, Pressing her way through that crowd and making her way to Jesus and saying, yes, I know I'm not supposed to be here. I know y'all consider me unclean, but I've heard about this man named Jesus who could change my life and I have got to get to him. And so she pressed her way and she made her way to him. And then in verse 29, it says this. It says immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Oh, my God, she did it. She got to him, she reached him, and she felt her transformation. What a beautiful story. I love this. But just when you think that the story is over, Mark blesses us with this final scene. So we've seen her level of desperation. We've seen her faith on display. But Jesus takes it a step further and demonstrates one final component to her journey to freedom. And it's truth. In verse 30, it says, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? You'll see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? (laughs) But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and and trembling with fear, what did she do? She told him the whole truth. I've read this story so many times, but I never noticed that. It says she told him the whole truth. And it also says that she was trembling with fear. And that kind of confused me. So I'm like, okay, well, if, if, if she just got to Jesus, if she just received her freedom, why in the world is she trembling with fear? But consider the implications at the time in that moment. She, with her unclean self, just touched a rabbi. What would this rabbi say to her? How would he respond to her if he knew everything about her? What would he say? How would he respond to her? What would the rabbi do if I tell him everything? And what about these people? What about them knowing that I was unclean? What if they realized, wait a minute, she touched me on her way. She touched me, now I'm unclean. What if they started picking up stones to throw at her unclean self? And then I wonder, well, why would Jesus even put her in that position? But I think Jesus was setting her up. Because Jesus realized something about her touch that was different from all the other touches around him. There was something special about her touch. Jesus knew and he set her up to tell her story. He set her up to tell her testimony, the whole truth. And why would he do that? He did it for the crowd. He did it so to increase their faith, for them to know what her life was like and what she was experiencing would ignite faith in the crowd around her. And in addition to that, it would also increase her own faith. Think about the courage it would take for her to share her whole truth in front of all of those people. And how would they know how great and how marvelous and how wonderful Jesus was if she didn't tell the whole story. And I love how Jesus responds to her. In verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Not only did he heal her body, but he freed her mind, body, and soul. That is the goodness of our Jesus. He doesn't just leave you where you are or or just attack or, or address what you think is the immediate thing. But he is a whole and complete healer. And he healed her fully and completely. And I know how she felt. I told you that I I carried a lot of shame down through the years in my life, and time just kept going on and kept going on, and I just kept waiting for this change, and I I did everything that I could. I, I, I went to church, and I joined Bible studies, and I tried to grow, and I was like, something is missing. Why do I feel like there's this ceiling to my growth in Jesus? And so in 2010, I was the worship director at a church at the time, and I decided to take our team to a conference. In Houston, Texas, it was an Israel Houghton conference. It was a deeper level conference. Yeah. I don't know if y'all know about Israel Houghton, but he was, he's the bomb now. Like, and I love his music. Like, you know, Lord, you are good and you are Yeah, yeah I need y'all to catch up. <laughs> he is great. <laughs> and so I went to this concert, and this conference, and they were having this big, huge worship time. And it was, I mean, just like this, the lights were up and it was loud and everybody was jumping and screaming and all the energy in the world. And it was amazing. But then things shifted. And he asked everybody to kind of take a seat like you guys are sitting now. And it got really quiet and really calm. And all the instrumentalists went away. And it was just Israel Houghton and his guitar and maybe somebody playing the cajon. And he started singing this song that hadn't come out yet. He introduced, he said, this is a new song. And so we all sit there and we're looking. And he starts singing the song and he says, From first to last, you knew my days future and past you saw everything when i would fail when i would win when i would need grace to start again nothing surprises you nothing surprises you about me jesus nothing that i could do Nothing could separate you from me, Lord. You see me, you know me, you love me madly. And I'm sitting there in that room and I heard those words and I felt this knot start rising up in my gut, through my chest, to my throat. And it took everything in me to hold it together. And then he sang the bridge. And he said, you're not mad at me. You're not mad at me. You're more than enough. And you're madly in love with me. And in that quiet room, this girl. (gasps) I mean, I lost it. I completely lost it. I was crying and snotting over everybody and they're looking around like, who is this girl? Why is she acting that way? But in that moment, I heard Jesus talk to me. I heard Jesus say, I'm not mad at you. Why do you continue to carry this guilt and this shame for things that I forgave you over long time ago? I am madly in love with you. Let that go. I have. Why won't you? And in that moment, I had reached the hem of his garment. In that moment, I heard him say to me what he said to her. He said, daughter. He didn't say teenage pregnant girl. He didn't say girl who got it all wrong. He didn't say girl who didn't follow all the rules. He called me daughter. Your faith, you're persistently going to church. You're persistently singing veggie tales with your kids. You're persistently going to Sunday school and lifting your hands on the worship team and singing, Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. I know my life hasn't turned around. I know things haven't quite gotten easier, but God, you are good and I will worship you. In the midst of my storm, he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Be free? What do you mean be free? How do you be free? And I love it, it says be Don't pursue it anymore. Be. You are free. The Bible tells us that he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Be free. Walk in your freedom. Live in your freedom. Walk out the freedom that I have given you through my Son, Jesus. (laughs) You don't have to live in bondage anymore. And now, when I tell y'all I'm so free, I don't care about anything. And every time I tell my story, and there's so much more I can tell. Lord, y'all don't have the time to hear the stories. But every time I tell it, I wrestle beforehand. Lord, should I say that? Lord, what will they think of me? And then he reminds me, wait a minute, honey, I freed you. That is what you did. It is not who you are. You are free in me. So go and be free. Live in your freedom. And I promise you my life has been totally different ever since. God has ignited this fire and this flame in me to live out freedom. In him, and it's not about making and, and and checking all the boxes, it's about knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. It's about receiving and accepting and walking in the freedom that He's given us through His Son Jesus. And there's no sweeter place than walking in the freedom of God. And my life didn't instantly change after that conference. My kids were probably in middle or high school, and for a long time I was waiting for a husband to pop up. He didn't come. I raised my kids by myself for 23 years before I ever met my husband. But God showed me, it ain't. that's not your final end anyway. That's not the end goal. The end goal is not the husband. The end goal is not a better job. The end goal is not more money. The end goal is freedom in Jesus. It is salvation and redemption from your sins so that you can walk out the purposes that I have in you. And once that happened, I could see myself more clear. And I could walk out who God had called me to be. And so we're inviting you today to live in freedom. My prayer for you with this message and this story that Mark so beautifully shared with us, this daughter of Jesus' story, that it would illuminate hope in you. And as you face the challenges of life, please remember this, that desperation, faith, and truth poured out to Jesus brings healing and freedom like you've never known. And even though Jesus was her last resort, even though Jesus was my last resort, and he's probably some of yours last resort, he also instantly became her launching pad into the rest of her life. And he's been my launching pad to the rest of my life. And I could not do this without him. There is a freedom that Christ has for you that he wants you to live in and to step in. God wants nothing more than for us to be free of our suffering, of our pain, of our shame, of our fear, of our sin, of our past. He wants us to be free. So if you are a Jesus follower, I wanna encourage you, be free. Be free, live in it, walk in it, strut in it there's nothing to be ashamed of. I am no longer a slave to shame and fear. I am a child of the Most High God. And so are you. Be free. And if you are exploring the faith, let me let you know all that other stuff, it's temporary. It won't last. But there is a freedom in Christ that you can attain today, right now in this moment. You feel him drawing you closer, asking you, inviting you to walk in this freedom. Allow Jesus to be your last resort and your launching pad into the rest of your life. So I wanna invite you to run to Jesus. I don't know where you're sitting right now in this moment. I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know what you're carrying, but God does. He knows where you are, and he wants nothing more than to make you free, to walk in his freedom. So we want to invite you to pursue him, to rest in him, to share with him, to tell him your whole truth. And I would also invite you this week, find somebody to tell your story to, even if it's just a piece. Every time you share your story, it frees you more and more. Because you realize you're not that. Your story was just a part of the journey to your freedom. So let's walk in that.